0: So, there's a movie I've been wanting to see for a long time as a history guy, Dunkirk, but I'm never, I'm rarely in the movie just to watch, you know, people get shot up like that and stuff. Like, it's one thing to be in, like, an Avengers kind of thing. It's another thing when it's like, this is, oh, this is how it happened. This is real. And so, war movies, I'm always, they sound good until it's movie time, and then I don't know. Anyway. So I kind of had to do with my own spoiler alert. I'm a history guy, but I had to read, read about Dunkirk uh, a little bit. So this is the, this is the situation. In 1940, you know, Germany has taken over uh, Belgium. They're into France. And there is a group of Belgium, French, and English soldiers who are trying to reclaim France and Belgium. And what happens is Germany just starts to win. They get them surrounded and pinned to the, the sea. There's, there's nowhere for them to go, and they are going to get wiped out. They are going to get decimated. And so a plan is hatched to start evacuating some of them. Like, the initial goal was, like, maybe we could get the non-essential personnel. Now, maybe we can get 45,000 people out of here. And how they're going to get them across the sea is, is through, like, yachts and fishing boats, and birch, I mean, they had some military things, but it's mostly like private individuals getting them out. Like it's a crazy plan. And in the end, over a span of I don't know what it was, like ten days, give or take, they get like three hundred thirty-eight thousand people evacuated because they were running out of supplies, they were running out of food, they were they were there was just no way they were going to win. And in the end, Winston Churchill called it the miracle of Dunkirk because he could. It's just no explanation for how that would happen. And so that's, that's what the movie is getting into, this story about how private citizens went and helped get this evacuation to take place. Now, here's the thing that rarely gets reported, and I was curious if it would show up in the movie or not, is that King George VI called, on the very first day of the evacuations, called a day of prayer and fasting for the whole nation. And people fasted, and they came, and they filled the churches, and they prayed, And that was part of it. Part of the miracle of Dunkirk, it started the first day. The first day, there were 6,000 people. And they were like, that's not quite what we thought, but that was pretty good. And by the end, they had 338,000 soldiers that they got out. After that day where a whole nation comes and churches were filled and they prayed and fasted and they didn't know how bad it was. They knew it was bad, but they had kept the information from the public a little bit because they didn't want complete panic to break out. That it was like, because if, th- if this gets wiped out, that is a large force in an already what looked like bad bad outcome for them. And so this is this is pivotal in changing the war and there was a day of prayer and fasting. Well, that's not the first time that's happened for Britain. There were multiple other times, and in one of them, if I can get the quote up on the screen, this is a quote from John Wesley's journal. France was gonna invade. This is in the 1700s. France is going to invade, and it's not looking good. French is stronger. They're gonna invade Britain, and so there was a day called The day of prayer and fasting, and here's what John Wesley, how he described it. The fast was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen since the Restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of tranquility. A few days later, a week or so later, this is what he wrote in his journal. Humility was turned into national rejoicing, for the threatened invasion by the French was averted there was a time where a political leader in the country of Britain would say, you know what, we need to to call this a day of prayer and fasting, and people would actually fill the churches, they would fast, they would not eat food, and they would pray. And then there were like significant outcomes that happened after the fact. Now where did they get this idea to fast and pray? Where did they get this idea? Maybe in a thing called the Bible. Now have you ever heard a sermon on fasting? Have you ever heard a sermon that says, you know what, not just like, hey, way back here they did this thing, but maybe someday we will do this thing? My guess is no. And yet, there are stories in the Bible where the king knew these stories. The king knew that in Judges, when when they were losing to the Benjamites over and over, there's a civil war and the group's losing and they pray and nothing happens. They lose again. They pray, nothing happens. They lose again. They say, we're all fasting. They fast, they hear from God, new direction, and they win the very next day. They know that there is a time in Jonah where Jonah says, you guys have, you've been evil in every way. This city, this godless city of Nineveh, you've been evil in every way, and the whole place decides to fast. And then God says, I changed my mind, I'm not going to judge. And by the way, Jonah got mad. What? I just told all these people I risked my life, and now you're not going to, anyway, that's a whole other sermon. There was Esther when a genocide was, was being plotted by the, the number two ruler in the land in the most powerful country in the world at the time, an empire, and the, the person that wanted to exterminate all the Jews there. And Esther, unbeknownst, or, or maybe he just didn't even care because he had so many different people in his harem, the king didn't know she was Jewish. She's there as the queen. And, and he... He, but the plan is in effect. They are going to be wiped out. And the, her uncle comes to, es, to Esther and he says, You're there. You could actually say something and do something about this. The only problem is, if she does, the most likely outcome is she gets killed. If she doesn't, she just gets to live in a palace for the rest of her life. But she says, Okay, I'll do it. But you need everybody for three days. Everybody, the whole land. Don't eat, don't drink. You need to fast and pray to God, and they did it, and she, instead of getting killed, she gets favored, she gets listened to, and the guy that had the whole plan, he gets executed, also in the Bible. There's Jehoshaphat, where there's a huge army, there's no chance they can win, and their strategy is we're all gonna fast. None of us are gonna eat, and then we're gonna put the worship team out in front, they're gonna sing, they aren't armed, and we're gonna head into battle. And totally wiped out before they get there. These are the stories in the Bible. And now what, the, the, what I want to read today is actually usually the only time, if ever, this gets read in most churches would be on Ash Wednesday. It's from the book of Joel. And I'm going to look at quite a bit of it today just so you can hear it right from, from itself. So Joel chapter 1, this is what it says. Verse 2 Hear this, you elders, listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine, wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Now skipping a few verses later, there's a similar description up to this point. Verse 11, Despair you farmers, wail you vine growers, grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed." The vine is dried up, and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away." So, hard for us to imagine this. We don't live in an agriculture society like they did. It's not like, well, we just go to a different part of the country or world where the food is coming in. Their crops are decimated decimated beyond decimated, and there is no hope. This is a devastating situation. I mean, in our lifetime, the closest we get is these initial months of the pandemic in 2020 where it's unknown. That is, that's starting to get there. This is worse. It's not insurance. There's not, what are we gonna do? So the prophet says, here's what you need to do. Verse 13, put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, all you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before God, my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Let me see here. That's all I'm going to read from chapter 1. So here's the instruction. Get together, sacred assembly, sacred place, fast, don't eat, call out to the Lord. What else are you going to do? Because they got nothing. But let me tell you this, until they had nothing, they weren't doing that. They weren't coming to the Lord until it was bad, as bad, as bad, as bad could be. Until they had exhausted every other option, they weren't doing something like gathering together and seeking the Lord together in an extended way, in an intense way. Chapter 2 of Joel, very happy book. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble For the day of the Lord is coming, it is closest at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in the ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. If I kept reading, we would hear about fire and devastation and destruction, It's it's not good, it's not good, natural disasters, it would all be there, but let's go now to what the result is, after even more, even, it's just, it's as bad as bad can be at every level. And in verse 12, it says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. And this is not an outward show. This is like, come to me with your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, Slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings, and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast. I'm not rereading something I read earlier. This is still yet again declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, get together. Bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Like, I don't care what you got going on. This is serious. Like, you're on your honeymoon, get back here. Like, we're like, well, I kind of want to watch a game tonight, so I'm not going to make it. Like, I don't care what's going on. This is serious. Come back together. Come back together. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, "Spare your people, Lord, do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should the, pe- they, they, among the people Why should they say among the peoples, "Where is your God? Where is their God?" So there it is, this like call to, when it is bad, beyond bad, beyond bad, pay attention. Have you as a people. Have you as those who say, yeah, I'm God's people, I'm a Christian, whatever language you want to use, I'm, yeah, we're, we're God's people. Have you as a people gathered together to seek the Lord? To give yourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord as a people? Because if not, blow the trumpet. If not, like, here we go, we got to get together, we got to pray, we got to fast, we got to seek the Lord, we got to give him our whole lives. That's there. And then Right away, it switches. Verse 19, the Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Let's see your verse. I don't know what else I have on the screen. Verse 21, do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green, the trees are bearing their fruit, the fig tree and the vine yield their riches." I guess I probably didn't have that up there. Okay. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts that swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you never again will my people be shamed. There is a situation beforehand that is the people who say, yeah, God's our God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I believe in God. I'm with God. But don't actually follow them with their hearts and lives. For years, And then destruction comes, and it is bad, and it is rough, and it is difficult. That's what's going on, and that is the situation it's in. And then they turn, they fast, they pray, they seek the Lord with all their hearts, and it's the exact opposite. Like, it's as good as it can get. Good upon good upon good upon good. Is this how it always works? I don't know because rarely do people actually all come together and seek the Lord with all their heart in unity. I mean, that's just we don't see that enough to know. But there is something to this. Like this is the before and after of path of um, fasting and praying together in the midst of a crisis. And there are examples throughout the Bible, examples throughout history, where it is how it works. It's like a dramatic shift takes place as a result of a crisis. Now, is this just, I gave you all examples from the Old Testament. Is this just like, yes, back then before Jesus? Well, here's what Jesus says about fasting. From Matthew chapter 9, there is in Matthew and Mark and Luke, those are three of the four accounts of Jesus' life that we have in the Bible, This story almost exactly comes up, three in each of those. The difference is who's asking the question. And so the reality is everybody's asking this question. You know what the question they're asking is? Why don't you fast to Jesus and his disciples? So let me read it. Verse 14, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we... And the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. So right now I'm here, I'm in the flesh, it's not fasting. When I'm gone, not here in the flesh, then my followers will fast. Then they will. And then every single time, what's connected, like it's, it's it, in the text itself, it's not like there's a gap. This is, Jesus goes right on to say this. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. There's something about, the, there's a new thing happening. Now connected to this idea of my disciples will fast is there is something new that's gonna happen on the other side of it, in the midst of it. And that is also true in the Bible. So Nehemiah is, is called, the people of God have been removed from Israel, from Jerusalem. And they are able to be brought back in a remnant, but it's not good, and Nehemiah comes back, and he's a leader that builds up the wall of Jerusalem. And after that wall is done, he does a fast. It's not because of the crisis. He's already fasted because of the crisis. It's a fast, it's a different fast. They have stabilized. And now he says, we're all going to fast because we're gonna seek the Lord, and they pray. Because a new day is coming, because we're doing a new thing. Now, Moses fasted for 40 days. When he fasted for 40 days, the end result was he brought the Ten Commandments. He said, there's a new way we're going to relate to God. We have this law now. This law is going to guide us. And he has these promises for us. It's a new day. Elijah fasted for 40 days, and at the the end of the 40 days, God showed him, you're not all alone. There are other people. Let me show you this is going to be a new leader, and this is going to be a new commander, and this is going to be the prophet that takes your place, because I'm going to do a new thing. Jesus... Fasted for 40 days. When he got done fasting for 40 days, the, Spirit, the, the power of the Spirit was on him, and that's when we get the recordings of all his ministry. Before he fasted for 40 days, we have no recordings in the Bible of, of him ministering, other than teaching as a 12-year-old in the temple. But he returned in the power of the Spirit, and he had authority when he taught, and he did miracles. That all happened after his fasting. The apostles in the book of Acts, they are fasting And worshiping and praying, it says, and God, they hear while they're fasting, together as a group, they hear, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. They set apart for them, and then they go on to be missionaries to people who had never heard about God, to the Gentile world. They did a new thing. So here's what I'm saying. Fasting is something, fasting when done collectively, is something that can be in response to a crisis. It can be in response to being like, I am stuck we are stuck we need something we need i got i'm i've run out of every other option so i am going to fast i'm going to just say god i need you with everything i got fasting is also something that says i sense god is going to be doing something new he's going to do a new thing he, we're in the midst of a new thing and he wants to release newness If I kept reading in Joel, in fact, let me read one more section in Joel. This is what happens right after what I just read. And let me say this first. If what I read in Joel, I'm sure some of you glazed over. I typically glaze over when somebody's reading a long passage to me. And when it's about like pomegranates and fig trees and things like that. But anyway, here's what that's getting at. In the old covenant that started with Moses, there was a promise. And if the old covenant is fulfilled by his people, the promises were, you will be in the land. And when you're in the land, you will receive blessing. You will receive abundance. You will be blessed in the land, people of Israel, people of God. The blessing, the covenant, is about in the land. Jesus came to bring a new covenant. So with that in mind, here's what verses 28 through 32 say. And afterward... In a new covenant, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So, remember if you're reading Joel all the way through, it's bad, it's bad, it's really bad. Blow the trumpet, call a sacred assembly, declare a fast, seek the Lord and pray, return to him with your heart. Then on the other end of that, it's good. It's really, really good. All the promises that are here in the Old Testament are going to be poured out on the people of Israel in the land. And afterwards, then the other side of fasting in the new covenant is he will pour out his Holy Spirit on men and women, on young and old, and people will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. People who were not saved will be saved because of the movement of the Spirit. And in the book of Acts, Peter says the Spirit comes. How does the Spirit come? There is wind, this is why we're singing songs like this, there is wind, there is fire, and that people think they've had too much wine. They have had a lot of wine, but it's the wine of the Holy Spirit, it's the new wine that Jesus was talking about, that's what's in them. And in the midst of that Spirit being poured out, people are saying, what's going on? And they tell them about Jesus. They tell them about Jesus' forgiveness. They tell them about a new way of life. And they say, what must we do to be saved? And they call on the name of the Lord. And people who weren't calling on the name of the Lord now are calling on the name of the Lord because the Spirit is moving. And that's the other side of them joining together constantly in prayer, Acts chapter 1. I feel like they were fasting, but it doesn't say they were fasting, so who knows? Who knows? They were joined together constantly in pre- They were coming together for this. And then on the other side of it, the Spirit is poured out. So what in the world am I doing leading up to Christmas talking about fasting? Because we're gonna do a new sermon series on fasting. Fasting. Merry Christmas, everybody. I mean, it's fine to listen to me talk about fasting. I'm gonna encourage you to fast. That's going to be part of it. We are going to talk about fasting, and here's the deal. Let me, Kendall, you caught me. That's an inside joke between Kendall and I. Okay. Uh, Fasting, let me give a definition. Well, first let me give an explanation, one of the reasons. There are many reasons we fast, and I'm going to get to the primary reasons we fast at the end of the series rather than start with it. But here we go from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. Fasting can bring breakthroughs in the spiritual realm that will never happen in any other way. Now, that's quite a statement, and I'm, surprised, I'm not surprised that someone would make that statement, but Richard Foster is not the person who I would think would make that statement. Okay, He's not coming out of the charismatic tra- tradition or anything like that. He is, he is into the rich spiritual streams of historical Christianity. And he says... That fasting can bring breakthroughs in the spiritual realm that will never happen in any other way. I believe that's true. I believe there is certain things that God has given us this, this gift of fasting, which to me is a weird gift. It's a weird practice. Like, seriously, not eating is somehow good? This is somehow, I don't know. I don't get it. I just know the reality and experience of it of the other side of it. So, a definition, here's one quote I found. A biblical definition of fasting is a, is a Christian's, I wouldn't necessarily use that language because it's in the Old Testament too, but is a Christian's voluntary absence from food for spiritual purposes. It is not eating, in the Bible, whenever they're talking about fasting, they're talking about not eating food for spiritual purposes. And I say that, I emphasize that, because many of us like, give up things for Lent, or at other periods, like you know, no Facebook, no social media, no, uh, so, you know, we give up different things, no sweets, no caffeine, we're gonna do that for a season. Those are good, those are forms of fasting. But in the Bible, it's talking about not eating. Now let me just say at this point, I recognize that not everybody in this room is that an option, right? Because of our health, certain health issues we have, because if you're under 21, I wouldn't encourage full fasting. Like, I would encourage like, some sort of partial thing if you wanted, if you wanted to do that for, for younger people. But while you're growing, it's probably best to keep eating. So there are, there are reasons. But what I don't want is for everyone to just, like, okay, I'll pick this other kind of fasting and not ever experience fasting from food. Like skipping a meal, praying instead, Like skipping two meals, like eating breakfast and going 24 hours, and then not eating, and then eating again, you know, 24 hours. Or waking up, not eating food all day, and waking up the next day, and then you can have food. Or for some, beyond. Why don't we fast? Why don't followers of Jesus fast? Remember what I read to you. He said, I'm here in the flesh now, but when I go, then my followers will fast. But we don't. We don't even talk about it. When we do talk about it, we read the passages that suggest, like maybe it's a bad thing to do. So let me give you, there's probably lots of reasons. Let me give you three that come to my mind. One, and this is, I hope, I've kind of addressed, is that it doesn't apply to us anymore. I just don't see that. I don't see that in the Bible, in the words Jesus just read, in the actions where it's recorded that the early church was fasting, and in church history. Where, by the way, often, often, I'm not sure always, but often, When you read about moves of God where a number of people came to faith in the Lord, where people who kind of believed in God all of a sudden came wholeheartedly, there was usually groups of people coming together in prayer and some of them fasting. Often. So, I think it does apply. What else? It's only for really super spiritual people. It's only for like super spiritual people. Let me tell you, if you're waiting to be spiritual enough, like, all of a sudden, like, I am, now I, I think I'm spiritual enough, I can handle fasting, I don't think that's how it works. I just don't. I feel like everybody's bad at fasting. I mean, when you get started, I don't care how spiritual you are or not spiritual you are, I feel like we're all on the same boat. Like, we like food. Like, fasting is a terrible name for it, right, because it goes slow, I mean, if you've done it, it's just like, oh my God, okay, I'm just going to make it through lunch, oh, it's two minutes, okay, we, we can make it. We could make it just a snack. I fasted between snacks. Is that good enough? So it is not for really spiritual people. And in fact, that is one of the things we read in the New Testament. And it is a temptation. If you start, I'm just telling you, if you start fasting and you maybe like do like a two-day fast or something, you do a two-day fast, all of a sudden you start feeling like, yeah, do a two-day fast. The longest fast I ever did, I may tell you about it in a different week. I did this really long fast and the next time I tried fasting, several months later, within from one meal to the other meal, I was eating. I didn't even make it two meals, much less skip a meal, like I I had a snack. I said I was going to fast for a whole day and I had a a snack and it was like the Lord said, you think you're doing that on your own? Like We need grace to be able to fast. Like, one of the things I learned, because when I first started trying to fast, like, the first time I did a fast for more than one day, I had to go home from work, and I was sick, and I, I just, I was a headache. Oh, and I just, like, nothing, nothing was good. Nothing was good about that. And I learned after time, like, it's okay to say, like, God, I'm going to try this. Can you help me? Like, I probably can't do it if you don't help me. And the other thing is, like, if failing is part of the learning, like the refrigerator calls to you, you'll be wasting, this food will go to waste. I better start this another day when we've emptied the fridge, when there's (laughs) nothing there to eat. All right, one last reason. There's lots of reasons, but one last reason I'm going to point out is it should only be done in secret. So we never talk about fasting in the, In the church hardly we rarely talk about it in most churches but when we do talk about it it be this passage like Jesus said when you fast do it in secret don't do it in front of people don't do it to get attention or your or that's your reward right and and so I think people could think like well yeah man I I don't want I need I can never let anyone know but let's just apply that to prayer because he also said that same thing about prayer You know, maybe I shouldn't ever, did I just say a prayer up front? Just lost reward in heaven for saying that, no. No, like the point is like motivation. If you're motivated to impress people because you pray or give money or fast or serve or whatever, then God says, okay, good. But if what you're doing is like, I'm doing this because I want more of you. I'm doing this because I think this is what you ask me to do, then that should be your motivation and it's probably best to not like put it out in front of people. It's as much as you can, just do it quietly. But I think that we never, that our um, thinking that always has to be in secret is one of the reasons none of us does it, because we don't think we can ever talk about it. We don't know anybody who does it. We don't know what it's like. We don't know how to learn from it. And there we are. Um. I'm getting distracted in my own head. I'll just quickly say this. There's another passage. This is, I'm in a little bit of a bunny trail, but I'm gonna bring it back and we're gonna get done soon, okay? So there's another passage where a Pharisee, Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee who gets up front. He's saying a loud prayer in front of everybody. Thank you that I'm not you know, an adulterer, a robber, a murderer, you know, or like this tax collector over here. I, I give a 10th of all I have and I fast twice a week. And Jesus is like, well, that guy didn't go home justified. Compared to the tax collector, like, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. He says, that guy gets grace from God. This other guy doesn't. He just thinks he's awesome. The point of that story isn't don't tithe, giving 10% of your income to the Lord, and don't fast. That's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is give good things. Give good, give good and fast. But don't do it to be in front of everybody. That was a bunny trail, I wasn't supposed to go on, I just realized it. I knew it, and I went there anyway, and the main point I was gonna make, I'm no longer gonna try to make. I'm going back to the sermon. <laughs> Sorry to process all that out loud with all of you. <laughs> so here's what, here's what I would like to suggest. I would like to suggest that we fast forward into 2022. And here's why. We need to fast because the world is in quasi-crisis right, it's in quasi-crisis. Like, you know, we got a new, you know, over the weekend, a new variant that could be, I mean, who knows what. I don't know. But another variant, we don't know what will happen with all of that. We have a political system that's not working very well. We'll, we'll have local things pop up and down. And here's what I'm saying. There's a chance that at some point, the Lord, the Lord might say, hey, you people in Knoxville, you people in central Iowa, call a sacred assembly already. Like, declare a fast already. Return to me with your heart. Do it together, because you aren't going to be able to do it by yourself for very long. And if he does, I want us to be able to fast. And when you learn to fast, you don't really focus on God. At least I didn't. You focus on food and not eating. But if you learn to fast, then all of a sudden you can go about your day and fast, and now you're going to... you're going to experience more of the rewards of fasting. It'll still be hard. It'll still be up and down. But I'm just telling you, when you learn to fast, often, not always, you recognize something different going on. The activity of the Lord is going on in a different way. I, I don't know how else to describe it. But there is something, I'm going back to that Richard Foster quote. There is something, there are things that happen as a result of fasting that don't happen in any other way. I am I am convinced of it. And we don't all have to fast. But if we can fast, even if it's just like a meal, a week, I think we should learn to do it. Let me give you a couple of quotes from Dallas Willard. These are my last two quotes. Actually, fasting is one of the more important ways of practicing that self-denial required of everyone Jesus says to everyone, anyone anyone who wants to follow me must pick up their cross daily, deny themselves, pick up their cross daily, and follow me. Anyone who wants to be my disciple, that's what they do. Anyone. So everyone is supposed to do self-denial. It's required of everyone who would follow Christ. But in fasting, we learn how to suffer happily as we feast on God. And it is a good lesson, because in our lives we will suffer. Now watch this quote from him. Persons who are used to fasting, who have learned to fast as a systematic practice will have a clear and constant sense of their resources in God. They will recognize the words of Jesus, I have food to eat that you don't know of. Like man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from God, you really learn that when you actually haven't eaten for a day. And that will help them endure deprivations of all kinds, even to the point of coping with them easily and cheerfully. I do think I've talked about this a number of times, about how I was, you know, my, in my teenage years, I'm, you know, if I didn't, if I was in a bad mood, my mom was just like, feed him, feed him. And I kind of, I heard her telling people about that, and like, ah, I just know when he gets grumpy, you just feed him. And I was sort of like, oh, so it's like an entitlement. Like when I'm hungry, then I'm mean. And I'm hungry, I'm grumpy, you know, I'm just hungry. And then I fast. And I learn to fast. And then you have your kids show up at the table and say, I'm starving. I haven't eaten in a couple days now. And I learned to just serve them and let them eat and smell the food and be okay. And I recognize the next time I am at a gathering when there's pizza, that instead of me counting the pieces to make sure I get, how many are they taking? Am I going to get enough? Oh, oh my goodness, oh, my goodness, not, they didn't order enough pizza. They didn't order enough pizza. Uh, how can I take a lot of pizza without people realizing I'm taking a lot of pizza? Because I don't think everybody's going to get as much as they want here. Just so I can say, it's like, well, I fasted. So I can probably just be generous and allow other people to have it. If I can do that, then I can be generous now, like a little example. So here's what we're going to do. I would like us to learn to fast, those of us that are able to and, and feel a sense of it. Even if you aren't able to fast food from food, I would like you to consider how else can we be joining together to pray what else might I be doing to lay something aside in different seasons? This is not something that I'm like, hey, we're going to do this for two weeks, and then we're moving on. That's not, the, that's not how you learn to fast. You don't just quick do it. I mean, you can. It just doesn't work as well. So I would like us to head into the end of the year, head into the beginning of 2022, and practice fasting. Learn to fast. Try it. Let's try it. In the middle of that, let's feast. It's Christmas time. Let's feast. But let's learn to fast. So here is a, a few ideas. If you can bring them up to the screen, it's my last slide, maybe, unless you came up with um, so this is the next few Wednesdays. You could pick a different day, you could pick a different time, but if we're if we're trying like some sort of like we're kind of fasting together, then it's important. It's not just not eating. Like, and it's not dieting. It is fasting and praying. I'm less of the physical in me, trying to lean into more of the spiritual. Because most of my li- life I do the other way around. I starve my soul, and I fill my belly. And this is supposed to be trying to bring a little balance to that. So, on Wednesdays, We'll maybe have a sign up there or you can just figure out if you want, but either this space will be available with worship music playing or upstairs will be available. At 6.30, we'll do our upper rooms where you can come and go when you want, but at 6.30, live music will start up there. The prayer room will still be if you want to sign up or if nobody's in there, you can still use that if you want to just kind of be by yourself. But that's the time. So maybe, maybe you would not eat a meal and before you re-eat a meal, those of you who have the schedule that can make this work, you come here to pray. Now again, you can do this a different day. You can do this without coming to church. We're just trying to help make a way. When I have it in my schedule, when I have a place to go, I tend to do better than when I don't. So, that is something to consider. Don't eat a meal. Or, try not eating two meals. Don't think... It it may happen, it occasionally happens, but don't think your first few times fasting you're just going to feel a lot more spiritual. You might recognize how not spiritual you are. But we're learning. We're learning. Do you have those apps? Otherwise I can just talk about them. Just just on a completely different note. I, I just, not completely different... But something else you could do to get man does not live on bread alone. But every word that comes from the mouth of God, and we we most of us don't read this, hardly, and maybe some of us just aren't readers or just we, it doesn't work. I've introduced this before, the Lectio 365 app. It's about ten minutes. Now they have a morning and an evening. You can do it whenever you want, and you can only pick you can pick just one of them if you want. But it is a way to get God's word in your head and in your heart. Lectio 365 app. L-E-C-T-I-O 365 app. And you just have someone kind of reading it over. You can read it on your phone or you can just listen to them reading it. Ten minutes. It is a great way to either start your day, to find a time, to right before you go to bed, God's Word in you. And starting tomorrow, they have a Lectio 365 app for families. So you could go, now, they're starting brand new. This week, it's Advent. So they're starting with new things. It was kind of a fresh start. I would encourage you to do one of those things if it's hitting you. How are we going to end this whole thing? We'll bring the music people back up. Maybe they could salvage this whole situation. No, I, I mean, in our community, we got buildings coming down over there in Knoxville. In our communities, we got a Pleasantville Youth Initiative working on a new, new building out there. We have a new middle school going up. We have things happening. There is a newness. We are leaving a denomination and entering a new, new situation. Like, there is a newness coming. And God says, God's, Jesus says, like, hey, they will fast. And then you want to know what? You can't put old wine into new wineskins. I want to do a new thing. And that somehow comes together. God's best days for Knoxville, for Pleasantville, for Melcher. I think, I mean Melcher. If the best, Melcher had some good days. All these towns have had some good days. But if the best days for Melcher are still coming, it will be a work of God. I think he wants to do works. I don't think he's done. I don't think he's like, ah, I'm just waiting. We'll send Jesus in a while, but I hope they all coast until then. I think he wants to do works among us. And he's looking for people who will say, I will empty myself, fill me up. We want to be part of your works. Let's pray. We join with the prayer of the early church and we say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. come Lord Jesus, be be the master in our communities, in our country. Come Lord Jesus. We want to be alive in you. We want spiritual vibrancy. We want to see things that only you could do happen. We want to do our parts in that. We want to practice. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to pray. But we're weak. Spirit is willing, but our, our flesh is weak. So help us, God. And I pray that there wouldn't be a, a sense of comparison or shame or anything. Just whatever you have for each person, whatever you have in these next few weeks for each person, the way that they would draw near to you. Would you just make it clear to each one of us and give us the freedom just to do what you're calling each one of us to do and the help to do it all the way. If we pray this in your name, amen.